feel bad for one more time. I want to come to this time to, to bring the message. So it be your message, and uh, it's all on fertile soil and fertile Uh, our passage today is out of the Gospel of John, chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I am you. As the branch cannot bear fruit itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. Men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, continue being in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even if I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. The word of God for all people. Thank you. So I'm starting a, a new series that's based on a book by Bishop Robert Schneezy of the United Methodist Church. It's called The Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. Today I'm going to start with just a brief overview and touch on all five of the areas. And beginning next week, we're going to go through them in a little bit more detail. This is from Bishop's name. Congregations make disciples of Jesus Christ by graciously inviting people and welcoming people with radical hospitality so God can reshape their lives through passionate worship and mature their faith through intentional faith development. They discern the call of God to transform the world with the compassion of Christ through risk-taking mission and service and to sustain these core processes so that the body of Christ drives in this generation into the future requires the extravagant generosity of Jesus' disciples. Now it shouldn't come as any surprise when he says God uses congregations to make disciples, right? He uses us, he uses you, and he uses me, the people, the congregation together. And, and, and we're the ones who offer the invitation, the welcome, and hospitality of Christ so that when folks come, they can get a sense of belonging, a sense that this is a place that God has prepared for them to come and be a part of something special, a part of the body of Christ. So he uses us to do that. God shapes souls and changes minds through passionate worship. He creates a desire to grow closer to him in that process. 
His Spirit nurtures us as we seek to learn more about Him, and that's intentionally learning more about Him through our faith development that's done primarily in community. Most of us have done Bible studies, right? I'm hoping most of us do Bible studies on our own and we do a study with others. Which is it that you gain more from? Why is it? Yeah, there's an accountability there. When 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 I get you know when, when we meet, I get to learn from Gary and Charlotte and Paul and Emily, Jeff and and, and Snodgrass, and Susan and, and David in that class. It's not just me studying. Now you need to do that too, by the way. And that's what you got amen. <laughs> we need to be studying. But when, there's more. We can learn so much more when we do things together. When we're in community, there's a reason that we are, the body of Christ is not just an individual, but is us together in community. And as we grow more spiritually mature, people begin to discern, hey, there's a little bit more to this than just study. There's other people in the world, right? Most of whom don't know Jesus. So we engage in mission and we engage in service with them so that we take the gospel, we give it feet. I heard it said once the gospel has no hands and feet, but yours. So where we go, we carry the gospel. And I love the bishop's name, he says risk taking, because that's critical. It's real easy to be comfortable and come to church on Sunday morning. It's not so easy to get the grocery store when God pats you on the shoulder and says, Hey, will you Talk to that person that's over there just about to cry. Just go say, hey. Ooh, I don't know this. And besides, I'm in a hurry and I gotta go cook and I gotta. Ministry and mission comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will prompt us to do things that take us out of our comfort zone. Risk taking, mission, service. And without giving generously, we can't accomplish the things that God has us to do. So all of these things come together to, to, to give us fruit, which is the goal of Christians. Vibrant and fruitful growing congregations don't stop at friendly hospitality or helpful service and mission or prudent generosity. I love this one. Prudent generosity. I give just enough to where it doesn't hurt me. I'm not going to give sacrificially. I'm going to give prudently. Once I pay everything out, I'll see what's left for God. Which is, God gives us the tithe, which is 10%. He lets us keep 90% of everything that we that we make. How cool is that? But we flip it upside down so often. He wants us to be radical, passionate, intentional, risk-taking. He wants us to be extravagant givers. Think Jesus. Was Jesus radical? Talk to a Pharisee. What? That's not, that's, not, that's not right. I've been studying scripture my whole life and you're wrong, Jesus. You think he took risks and service and mission? Where did he go? Did he hang out at, at the synagogue or at the temple? He was out there. He was really out there, right? If we're comfortable here, Jesus was like, he was like really far away. He was, he was further than this. In fact, he was probably all the way out here. 
But it's, it's smart because it's got everything in it. Change is basic as we become more willing to look at who we are and, and where is it that God is, is calling us to be. We embrace newcomers. We embrace newcomers. We want them to belong here. With us. We want them to come and become a part of us. And we want to do that through Jesus' style. Radical hospitality. It's not just, welcome, I'm glad you're here. It's raining outside, I greet an umbrella, and I go and I, and I walk in. What's the next step in hospitality for us? It's getting a bus so that we can pick people up. What's the next step for us? We need to be thinking about how do we Jesus was radical, he was a revolutionary. How can we do that in the area of hospitality? How can we be so over the top welcoming that people in our did you you know the one thing that, that all churches say about themselves when you ask them, what are you known for? What are you known for? We're friendly. We're welcoming. Even the ones who aren't. <laughs> We're welcoming to each other. Uh, all churches are known. That, that's common. So the churches that are, that, that, that are making a bigger difference are the ones who are not just, hello, how are you? They're, man, I'm glad you're here. I mean, not fake, but you, you know what I mean. We're, we're really glad that folks are here. When folks, we, we, had, we had some folks join today, right? Radical hospitality says that we don't let them walk out the door without finding out some of their information so that we can reach out to them, so that we can follow up with them, see how they're doing in their life, not just in the church. That's radical hospitality. That's beyond the norm. And it's not all up to the pastor. That is primarily not up to the pastor. It's primarily up to the people in the congregation to do this. Do you know what Cheryl's been going through? Just a mess. Bob's been struggling for a long, long time. We need to support Cheryl. Gary and Charlotte just moved out here. They don't know all the good restaurants. Tell them. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I'm talking about. Don't, don't let church be the place that we just kind of say hello and then, you know, get to know people. Because if you get to know them outside of your next thing, you know, you're having a Bible study together, you're learning about God, intentional faith development. Next thing you know, you got a group that's going down to Shepherd's staff and it's not just Randy and Peggy and Colby. You still go? <laughs> Sorry. Don't answer that. I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> but Kobe went for years before he went to college. Radical hospitality is going beyond expected. Passionate worship. Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane got on his knees and was praying so hard to God. He was in such worship, he, he started sweating blood. When Lazarus died, the shortest passage in the Bible, Jesus wept. Our God is a passionate God. 
Don't kid yourself. Don't, don't think that he doesn't care because God does care. He's a passionate God. He's zealous for you. He wants you to be involved in your life. The passion of God. When you grab hold of that passion. Intentional faith development. It's not going to happen without intentionality. We can offer as much as as much things as we want, but if you don't take the step into the Sunday school class, if you don't take the step into the Bible study, it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to come to your house. Going to go to a party. Nobody's going to come to your house and say, "Hey, I'm going to start a Bible study, and we're going to do it at your house starting now." Okay? It's not going to happen, right? So, so what we've got to do is we have to get off our behinds and get engaged in in seeking our God, intentionally develop our faith, take risks in mission. What that means? Some of us are gifted. Uh, you know, this is. I complain to God about this all the time. I want to be one of those who's gifted with finances. <laughs> but he's smarter than me, and he said, Mike, he would blow it. <laughs> so he doesn't do it. But some of y'all are, right? So some of y'all have been, you, you work hard, you, you've done a great job of, of, of making money, in it, and part of your service has been writing a check. And that's wonderful. You know why? How we got to pay? People gave you know, you know, it costs money to do these things. So, so it, it's a wonderful thing. But maybe the risk for someone who's who's used to writing a check is once in a while to go down and finish. Not even if you don't do it all the time. Maybe it's to volunteer in a, with the, with our kids in a Sunday morning class. Similarly, maybe for those of us who who aren't as whose primary thing is to go out and and be involved in places. Maybe for us it's taking a risk financially. It's writing a check with money that we don't have. Not that it'll bounce, but <laughs> it's got prompting our heart and going, we can't afford this, Lord, but we're going to do it anyway. Risk taking. Mission search. See, I don't know what it is for you, but I know that God wants us to take step towards it, whatever that looks like for you. Somebody, he wants you to take a lot of steps. See, as we grow, as, as we get involved in service, as we see what God does, this thing about extravagant generosity becomes natural. See, God gave us in Malachi, he gave us the tithe, which is 10%. We're to give 10% to the work of, of God. And, and that leaves us with 90%. Now, we always look at it like, 10%, I can't afford that. Well, you get to eat 90. 90 is still not enough. It never will be enough if you don't take the first fruit, 10%. But that's the tithe. When I pray, I would pray for the tithe. Gifts and offerings, huh? See, some of us give beyond that. We give gifts. Offerings to God. Service to God. Not this money. Some of us have, I've had this debate with a lot of folks, that, well, you know, Jesus never mentioned the tithe. And he's absolutely right. Jesus didn't. He said give all. So if you want to do that, you know, a rich young ruler came in and, and, and uh, said, you know, I've done all this, this stuff. What else do I have to do? I go sell everything you have. Come and follow me. 
Now that was a specific story for a specific person. But that's what that's Jesus' perspective. And I know a guy that's hard. I get that. Let me count you with this. If you're not giving at all, give some. If you're giving two percent, try to leave. If you're giving five percent, trust. A little at a time. Or go for it and see what God does. I'll be honest with you, for Kit and I, that's what we had to do because we were, you know, it's been years now, but, but we were that incremental thing would have never worked for us. So, so we you know, and you know what? We live in a house, we have a car, I have a job, we're doing okay. Well, I get to eat. Let me say this about giving. I'll spend more time with you another time. I hope that you give to Paul Springs. I think that we're, we're a worthwhile, we're a worthy place to give. But the direction to give from God is not about a place. You know why we give primarily? Because it's good for us. It's good for us. It's a spiritual discipline that helps us. So if, 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 if you don't think that Bold Springs is a good place to give your gifts, if you just don't think it is, give somewhere to the work of Jesus Christ. Not just to charity, to the work of Jesus Christ. Because it's not really about Bold Springs. It's from God. He didn't say, Malachi does they give 10% to Bold Springs. Otherwise, we can check in the mail. Okay? But give. Because you'll find that it benefits you more than anyone else. It changes your heart. So anyway, I, I, I like these, these, as you can tell, I, this, this is going to be a good series for me. I, I really love where this pushes us. Because I think it pushes us towards Jesus. I want to go towards Jesus. I want you to come with me towards Jesus. I want you to run ahead of me towards Jesus. I, you know, and if we'll do that as a congregation, it'll be quite powerful. Now I wanted to spend a few minutes on our passage. See, Jesus, when he spoke to the, to the people in his time, he used parables and analogies, right? He talked about farming a lot. He talked about, uh, you know, things that they would relate to. He wanted them to understand what he was saying. So when he talked to vine dressers about vines and fruit, he was being intentional with his audience. The people he was talking to understood what he said when he said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. So to these farmers, Jesus is saying, telling them something they're very familiar with. A vine. I'm the vine, and God is doing the things that you do to keep your vine healthy. Because God is the vine dresser. Because we want it to bear fruit. Now, to my gardeners and farmers, what happens if you don't clean up around the plants? All that dead stuff. What happens? I know some of you gardeners. You get weak, you get disease. What happens to the plant? The plant itself will eventually die, right? If we don't clear out the dead stuff. 
It damages the planet. It's kind of ironic that in the church, we work so hard to keep everybody. We want, we want everybody to stay, right? We never let anybody go with, without our claw marks in their back, you know? You haven't been doing anything here, but please don't. <laughs> We're Methodists. We count everything. We need you. We want them to stay, even, even if that shame damages the point. Jesus is telling us in this parable that it's okay to let them go. And by the way, he will bring them back. See, God's not done with them just because somebody's not here. He'll bring them back if they decide to be followers of his instead of fans. If they'll get off the sidelines, you know, a lot of us are fans of Jesus. I hope things go well, and Jesus, I hope you do good, and, and you move, and you do all that stuff. I'm not doing anything. But I hope that you, now I'm going to cheer for the stands. Way to go to Jesus. He wants followers, right? So sometimes when the fans go away, God works on them. They can't, they can't escape. God, you know wherever you go? You know who's with you? You ever tried to run from God? How did that work for you? Were you successful? You mean he found you? That is crazy. Wherever we go, there he is. Wherever we go, there he is. Now, I'm not saying we run people off. I know Jesus might be, but I'm not saying that we run people off. I'm saying we don't fight so hard. I'm saying that, that, that we focus on very fruit. Allowing the mind to get healthy. Everybody in here, each of us, everybody in this big city church, the church universal, has the opportunity to engage in intentionally learning through Bible study, fellowship, accountability groups. We get to serve in mission. We get to, to reach out into our community if we choose to, to make a difference in people's lives. We have the opportunity to give generously. We're invited to worship passionately. To be radically welcoming. All of us have that. Many folks in the church do those things really, really well. Many folks here do those things really, really well. They live out this understanding of Christ. He's moving in their hearts. He's living through them. It impacts everything that's going on in your life. Praise God for you. Others explain that things aren't, aren't how they want it. Doesn't matter what God wants. They want it. Not okay to do that. Argue when things come up. Focus on the problem. You know what happens when you focus on the problem? The problem increases. The problem increases. You know what happens when you focus on a solution? Solutions increase. Do we need to identify problems? Amen, hallelujah. We need to identify problems. And then go, what are we going to do about it? Move to solutions. We are, we are to be a solution-oriented people. It's a truism of life. But even being a solution-focused people doesn't mean that we're not going to run into tough times. That we're not going to have some struggles. 
Jesus doesn't stop with that little part of the front. He, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So, do you want to be pruned? Not me. Pruning involves pain. I'm not a big fan of pain. There's nothing in life that I'm not a big fan of pain. I don't want to be pruned. But I know that it's necessary if I'm going to become who God is calling me to be. And it's that way for you too. If you're going to become who God is calling you to be, then there are going to be times when you're sitting there going, Leave me alone, God! And he's going, It's this. It's this. It's like that skit when Bill and Flip came and the, the chisel, God's chiseling us, making us into who he has called us to be. The wonderful thing about that, if we're willing to let that happen, is that we'll get healthier. As a body and individually, we'll become more healthy. Let's say you have a physically gifted athlete, middle school. They're fast, they're strong, they're capable, physically better than anyone else, but they aren't willing to put in work. They're not willing to do the things necessary to help them to improve. They don't put in the needed sacrifice to become all they can be. You know, even with that, those great gifts, eventually they fall behind. Or they become a cancer to the team. Randy ever had to let somebody go? Because they, you know, they had all the talent in the world. But they were hurting the team. We don't like to do that. But sometimes it's necessary for us. And the good news about that is that it's often necessary for the person. It's a wake-up call. It's, well, wait a minute. I have all this physical talent and wake up and awakening. Not always. You know how runners are able to run 26.3 miles? Do they wake up and go, hey, today I'm going to run a marathon? Not usually. Usually it starts with one mile, three miles, five miles, ten miles, a half marathon. And then, 26.3 miles. There's pain in training, but in the end, you reach the goal. And Jesus is talking to a specific group in our, in our story this morning, but you can take that analogy and put it into whatever area of your life there is. If you're a business person, you'll, you'll, you're going to see that the basic tenets remain true. So there are gifted business men and women in the world, but they don't keep up with their industry. They don't do the study necessary to stay on top. What happens to them? They end up losing money, losing position. Students. Students. They can achieve great things, but they refuse to sacrifice it to do the things that are necessary in order to learn and to grow. And so they're in high school, and then they're, they're, they graduate high school, and they're headed to college, and, 
and, and they, they need to stick it out because there's a gold ring that happens. I get this job and I'm starting to make money and, and, and now I'm able to do some things I wasn't able to do. And so I'll get back to college later. You know what usually happens with a year off from college? You don't go back most of the time. When you, what we need is to stick to the plan, to persevere, to take the next step, to become all that God is calling us to be. Jesus gives us a truth that's eternal and everlasting. You're already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do that. And there it is. The primary solution. This is, this is the real deal. This is, hang on to this. Abide in him. Abide in him. Rest in him. To abide. To wait for. To endure without yielding. To bear patiently. Abide in Him. Trust in Him. Rest in Him. Be pruned by Him. It may be take steps that you're not willing to take. Do things you may not want to do in order to become the people and the place He would have us to be. But when we abide in Him, great things can happen and will happen. Not usually in our time. But they will again. He'll become fruitful in our lives. And that's what we're after as Christians. We want to be fruitful. We want to bear much fruit. Not all of us can do all things. But all of us can do something. May we be that kind of place. I don't know what God's calling you to, Corbell. But he's calling me something, Bob. Everybody. Everybody. The five things we're going to look at can help us to become more productive, fruitful Christians. Radical hospitality, passionate worship, intentional faith development, risk-taking mission and service, and extravagant generosity. We're going to take a week on each. We're going to go through what that means for us as a church, what it can mean. But at the end of the day, anything that happens is going to be up to us. We can stay exactly the same. But I will tell you with complete certainty, God is not a God of staying exactly the same. He wants to challenge us. He wants us to become more than even what we think we 